my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. Uh, my name is Eric. I am here today with Francis Lease, a life coach, writer, and podcast host. Francis is also the creator and founder of Defying Resistance and is part of the team that makes up Black Girl Ventures, a nonprofit addressing quote, the unique challenges Black, brown women face in accessing social and financial capital to grow their businesses. I discovered Frances in the summer of 2019 uh, through her podcast that she co-hosts called Chronicles Abroad, which is a podcast that features those of us who are traveling and sharing our stories as digital nomads and expats. Welcome, Frances. Thank you, Eric, for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you today. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Yeah. I'll let you say where you're at now. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the lovely Dominican Republic. Yeah, I'm in some place called La Semana, and I'm in a city not too far from there. It's a beach town. It's really nice. It's super chill. The waters are beautiful, and the weather's great. Nice. Nice. Is it your first time there? No, it's my second time. I actually was here last summer for a retreat and now I'm back and I extended my stay for another month. So I'm going to be hanging out with the Dominicans. And if I remember correctly, you're Haitian. I am. Yeah. I was born in Haiti. So it's interesting to be back on the island. I've yet to still go back to Haiti. So maybe, I don't know, might be a trip in there somewhere. So did you grow up in Haiti or is that just where your family is from? Yeah, I was born and I was there until I was five years old. And that's when I came to the States, grew up in Boston. Yeah, I see. I kind of hear that accent every now and again. Yeah, God, <laughs> no, I try not to, <laughs> but it is what it is. Oh, no, I love it. I mean, we all have accents, but whenever I hear like an East Coast US accent, I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Got more um, flavor to it, to my ear. Ah, appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So how's your week been? My week has been good. Yeah, it's just been uh, been a lot of movement. So I've been in a few different places and changes in the last three weeks. So I finally found a spot and got settled. So it's been really good. Okay. Now, I discovered you, uh, as I said in the intro, through Chronicles Abroad that you co-host with Nubia. Mm -hmm. Is this part of that for you? Because if I remember correctly, you are kind of like a digital nomad where you are one of the people preceding people like me who travel and live all over the world. Is this part of that? Not currently. So Chronicles Abroad is on a hiatus. We might be coming back. We're not sure. It's still some conversations around that. It's been on a hiatus for a little while now. So what I've been doing lately is that I've been building my coaching practice and I'm also the blog manager for Black Girl Ventures. So I do a lot of their writing and I manage the writers there. And yeah, that's what I've been really focusing on. I'm a plant medicine integration coach, and I also provide transformative coaching. So I work with folks who have experience 
experimented or used plant medicines who need help integrating. And I also provide transformative coaching for those who are also looking to deepen the knowledge of themselves and make changes. When you talk about integrating, what does that mean? Sure. So integrating means when you use plant medicines, things do come up. The shadow self, which I would say is just like all the things, all the obstacles and things that you might have struggled with in life may come up for you and leave you in a state of openness and in a place where you're ready to have those conversations. So uh, whether it was like relationships with your parents came up, childhood stuff, trauma, all of it, all of it comes up. And so when it comes up, you need a place to kind of like process some of the stuff that comes up, right? So it's almost like, you know, you have a flood in your house, but if you don't open a door, the water's not going to come out, right? So letting all that stuff out and, and really processing and making connections so that you can implement those changes. I heard medicine, but it sounds like it's much more encompassing than when, at least in the States, we think of as medicine. It sounds like it's spiritual and emotional yeah. too. It's plant medicines and, you know, those who know what plant medicines are. So those who have experimented with or have done ayahuasca, Campbell, any of those kinds of things, um, psychedelics, that sort of thing. I see. Okay. So prior to what you're doing now with life coaching with plant medicine, um, what is your educational and professional background? Yeah, I'm a clinical therapist. I'm a trained clinical therapist and operating now as a coach. And yeah, I've had a number of years in that field. And that's the same field that also burnt me out. So it's good to come back from a place of wholeness to be able to redefine the work that I do. Mm. Was that working with government agencies? Mm-hmm. Yep. Government agencies, working with clients, all of the above in the mental health realm of things. Yeah. The people that, I, in my opinion, we need more of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, more of that are equally whole, right? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm following you currently through your own professional stuff on Instagram, but I like your quotes and things that you share on there and and points of inspiration. Thank you. And then also when you were posting uh, on Chronicles Abroad, and I'll have to say, I liked when you would say, hey, beautiful people. I just love when you would say that. <laughs> I got to bring it back. I got to bring it back. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was something about it just like made me feel like, oh, okay, uh, I can do this today. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's good feedback. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So is that connected to defying resistance? No, those are two separate things. So Chronicles Abroad was me and Nubia's way of coming together to inspire people 35 and over to travel and to live more meaningful and purposeful lives and to use travel as a form to transform themselves, almost like a healing journey, right? Like a eat, pray, love kind of thing. So that's Chronicles Abroad. Define resistance is something that I created in 2019 as a platform to really inspire and encourage people to defy the resistance. And what that essentially means is that uh, oftentimes when we're ready to do something, create something, change something, we experience a lot of resistance. And, you know, how can we defy the resistance within us so that we can actually cross over that threshold, right? So that we can step into the fullest potential of ourselves. So that's defined resistance. I see. Just thinking of my own personal journey, it feels like this is connected to 
maybe the inner dialogue that we all struggle with? Yes, 100%, like that inner chatter that has, yeah, no evidence, no, no basis, but it's something that we're connected to and we feel. And so like, how do we uh, eliminate some of those noises so that we can actually get moving? So first, those who may not be aware fully, what is a life coach? A life coach, just go back and forth with that terminology because it's so, it brings up different emotions for people, right? Uh, but a life coach is somebody who helps those who are looking for more, I like using the word balance, maybe emotional imbalance in their lives that's affecting maybe their relationships, maybe affecting their work. So a life coach would look into all those pockets of areas in, in those people's lives and see where the barriers are and then help them work through that so that they can bring more, I guess, um, equilibrium into themselves and into their relationships, into their work, all of that. This has been since 2019. Yeah, that I've started to transition from being a therapist to coaching. When did you, for yourself, professionally discover that this was your life journey? The therapy or the coaching? Maybe both of them or one and then after the other, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, when I was in high school, I took a psych 101 class and I fell in love with it. And I loved learning about the mind and the behavior. And I was like, oh my God, like this is all so connected. And so that's when I decided I was going to be a psychologist. But during college, uh, although I loved learning about the psychology of the brain, I realized I wanted a bit more flexibility. I didn't want to be like in an office, like seeing patients or something like that. Right. And that's when I stumbled upon social work and social work allows you to move and it just kind of fit my personality a bit more. And it also had at the time, I was big into activism, you know, just kind of like the social activism feel of social work and, and what it means to work with marginalized individuals. Hmm. And so um, I went to grad school, I got my social work degree and then I worked in child welfare for several years and then started working with clients but I burnt out doing all that stuff uh, in 2013. I, I got into real estate for a little bit, ran away from the whole, like, I'm all set with this. I'm just going to go out here and not have an idea of what's going on in people's lives anymore. I just wanted the total opposite. Right. And I went there and it, that didn't make me happy. So I decided again, resisting to come back into this field but I, I realized I need to do my own journey, my own healing. So I just kind of just focused on that. And that's what travel allowed me to do. It allowed me to really get quiet, face a lot of things that I might've been avoiding. You know, as you know, as a traveler, you go from being automatic, uh, living in the Western culture to being like <laughs> noticing everything and nothing, you know, like, where do I go? Like, how do I find directions for this? So you're constantly on as a traveler, because you're, you're navigating different cultural landscapes, right? And so because I couldn't turn on the automatic behaviors, I had to like always be present. Mm -hmm. And I think it's through that presence that allowed me to take myself through the healing journey, work through my own depression and anxiety, and realize I had issues with the whole mental health industry anyway it just no longer resonated with me. So being a coach allows me to do the work in a way that's creatively my own and also allows me to work with a lot more people and it just resonated more. And so I've been spending the last 
two, three years, like building my coaching practice and working individually and also doing some group work with folks. I see. You talked about personality. What do you mean by that with your career? Yeah. So I love flexibility. I love being able to flow and move and working in a traditional setting is just not good for my health. (laughs) And it took me a long time to realize that. And so I love being able to get up and go where I want to go, do what I want to do and not be constricted to, well, this is how we do things kind of mentality. Being able to define the spaces that I move feels very freeing to me. Mm. I wasn't fully aware of that when you and Nubia were doing the podcast when I first discovered it. Thinking back, I can hear some of that and how you were looking for ways or had found ways to be successful, to support yourself. But like you said, to live a life that feels more authentic to who you are. So with travel, was that like an organic thing? Was that like something you had been researching Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I've always like wanted to travel, but it just seemed like something that was non-existent, far reaching. You know, I didn't know anybody that did it. So it was just kind of like a fantasy. And then in 2016, you know, at that time, a lot of things were happening for me. My son was going off to college. Uh, My father unexpectedly passed away. So I started thinking about my own mortality and my partner at the time was like, you know, you've always wanted to travel. Maybe this is the time to do that. And I was like, oh yeah, it is. I wanted to travel with a purpose. I didn't just want to go out there and be like some person just laying on the beach. There's nothing wrong with it, but I just, that wasn't me. You know what I mean? So I decided to teach abroad. It was just started researching and I realized, oh yeah, I can get paid to teach abroad and travel. I'd love to do that. And so I taught in Thailand. I taught in Japan. And after that, I realized, yeah, I'm good with that. That's, <laughs> I am not an English teacher. <laughs> it was good and fun. So I reset. I went back home in 2019. Got like a traditional gig for a little bit, but it still allowed me the flexibility. And it was a lot more in alignment to the work that I wanted to do. So I gave it a shot and I did that, but it was only temporary. And so I went back to teaching a little bit because I just could not take a a full-time job. I was like, I'm going to figure this out, right? And then from there, that same company that was the only temporary position called me and said, hey, we have a full-time at our high school. And I was like, oh, I'm moving to Mexico. Like, I don't know. COVID was happening, everything. And they're like, no, it's fine. We're not going to be, you know, physical. It's all going to be virtual. I was like, okay. That works as I'm still building my business. And that's what I did for for a year. I was a high school counselor and traveled. I traveled to many places and it just was a good compliment. I just stayed on the East side. Um, They wanted me to come back. Again, I can't do the traditional thing. The universe will constantly tell us, you know, you need to shift. And I kept defying that, right? Even though knowing that I love the flexibility, I kept saying yes to these constraints. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm all set. Like they wanted me to come back, but I also couldn't even do like the whole nine to five thing either, even if they had virtual opportunities. So I just said, no, and I'm just going to figure this out. And that's what happened. And between the writing and, and the coaching, I've been able to, you know, live this beautiful life. It's like a literal example of a leap of faith. 
Yes. Lots of leaps. <laughs> uh-huh, lots of leaps. I like that. Not yeah, just one. Yeah. Yeah. Not just one. Not just one. No. Now, coming from a traditional background for years, as far as your professional life, how was it for those around you when you made this change to living the life you live now? It's been in spurts. You know, when I moved abroad, I didn't really tell my family. I just kind of called them from the airport and said, hey, I'm going to Thailand and they didn't even know what Thailand was. So <laughs> I think over time, people have gotten used to how I do things. It's a bit adventurous at times. It's usually calculated, but uh, they just got accustomed to it. I think in the process, as you make changes like this, you do lose people along the path. And that's part of like the shedding of the skin process. But what I'm finding is that, you know, when people see you actually living from that place, from a very courageous and authentic place, it has them thinking about their lives. And I've had, you know, lots of DMs of, oh, I wish I could do that. And I can't wait to do that. And all these things, you know, and you can create these things, but everything has a trade-off, right? So you have to think about what you're willing to trade to create whatever it is that you want to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I mentioned it to you when you interviewed me a couple of years ago, and more so now that I'm committed to this journey for myself, discovering you and your platform for me was like the last thing I needed to hear. I was looking up Black travelers and Black Americans in particular, but when I discovered you and being Black and part of the LGBT community, I was like, I didn't even realize I need to know that there's someone out there like that so I can believe in this. So yeah, it's just a shout out to you and thank you. We appreciate it, Eric. And that's the reason why we created the podcast. And when you see people do the thing that you thought that you could never do yourself, oh man, like what I call it, the walls fall off, they come down and then you start getting creative and ideas start popping in your head because that barrier is no longer there. So representation and being able to um, see those things happen really does matter. Now, were you researching beforehand when you started your own journey, uh, specifically around being a Black traveler and or being uh, LGBT? No. What I was researching was how can I move abroad and still make money? That's what I was researching. I had no concerns about like being Black in this place, being queer in this place. And that wasn't where I was on a mental and emotional level anyway. I think for me, the immediateness of my life was to just get out. By any means necessary, get out. I never thought about those things. There was no Facebook groups that I could join. I didn't even bother looking any of those things up. It just wasn't in my peripheral. And I just kind of just went. And it wasn't until I had been overseas for a little while you know, Nubia was thinking about moving. And then I started discovering a lot of different groups. And even as I travel, I never really look to see if there is. Even when I traveled for the last six months in Colombia, it wasn't until the end of my stay that I kind of looked to see, you know, who's the Black community there and all this other stuff. It's never my first go-to. I just like being around the locals. Some people move with the specific intent to find a a Black community to connect with. I don't, it's just not one of the main elements to make my experience that more quote-unquote comfortable. Mm. In terms of being queer, I definitely look at that. You know, can I hold my partner's hand on the streets? You know, Latin America has been 
great in that sense that you can do a lot of that. Mexico is probably like most super like laid back about a lot of that things. They will might look at you depending if you're in like a really small pueblito or something, a little city, but yeah, Latin America has been a great place to travel through being queer. Me and my partner hold hands all the time. Sometimes we see other queer couples. So that's been really, really great. When it comes to Asia, you might get some weird looks, but even in Thailand, they have you know, the lady boys and all that. So you will see queer couples from here and there. Japan's very closeted, although if you're in Tokyo, there might be a bit more because it's a bigger city. You might see a bit more of that, but a lot of the Japanese are in the closet. So that's one thing I will check in about. Can I safely hold my partner's hand down the street? That's uh, breaking a stereotype for me or an assumption being in Latin America. Oh, Latin America, more traditional maybe. I'm going to have to create this whole new persona, but hearing how you and your partner are able to be yourselves that way, it's good to hear. You know, of course, it's different gender-wise, you know, you just have to kind of like gauge. Being new here in Dominican Republic, I'm still like figuring out that way because I ain't going to lie, Dominican men is thirsty out here, right? So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) they are so thirsty. I don't know, but yet I've seen, you know, some people that might, oh, maybe their family, that sort of thing. So I'm not sure about DR, but every other place from like Panama to traveling through Colombia, it's been super casual. And what you find about a lot of places in, or at least a lot of the countries I've been to in Latin America, they're very welcoming. <laughs> so, you know, everybody says buenos dias to each other or buenas. And, you know, Colombia was never high on my list to visit, but I'm so glad that I did. It's a beautiful country and the people there were very friendly. I had a great time in Colombia and I probably would have still been there, but I had to go to a retreat here in DR. Uh, And now they have the vaccine mandate. So I'm not going back there. So (laughs) that's that. Yeah. Latin America definitely surprised me. We come with our assumptions, just like you said, and our belief systems. And the beautiful thing about travel is that we have points of references where, ah, well, maybe not, but then you're like, well, typically, usually, And I definitely believe that the world is a lot more kinder than it's displayed. And that's what I've experienced through traveling. Speaking of assumptions as a Black American, how have you been able to educate other Black Americans? Because I know for me, I get from people like, how do you do this? And I get it from some aspects because of the history of racism here and how we're just so hyper aware of it. But How have you been able to educate other Black Americans about travel? I actually don't, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a whole different vibe, a whole different frequency. And the whole race relations thing, is that's a whole nother conversation. And so as I learn more about myself on a spiritual level, and I look around us and see a lot of divisive language. And so I try to not participate too much in divisive language and divisive conversations. So typically people don't really come up to me anymore or ask me about what's it like to be black here. Usually it's just like tips about travel. Like somebody just recently, so cute, 18 year old going to Thailand for the first time, wanted to know about transportation. And so, you know, I get questions like that, like really just, well, how do I logistically, you know, navigate a new country? I get more of those questions than I do that question. I see. 
you're helping me to reprogram or continue to reprogram how I see myself. Because when you've been sharing all this, I hear Francis walks into the world as Francis. And these other things are just parts of who you are. So yeah, thank you for that. So if we can backtrack a little bit, who was Francis as a young person? And then also being part of the Haitian community. Yeah, you know, Francis was a little wild, a little bit until my aunt did her thing when I first got to the States. But overall, Francis is somebody who's just been like a quiet introvert, you know, just reading my books, drawing and just quietly navigating life and being part of the Haitian culture. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my family. I spent a lot of time with the Caribbean culture uh, just because growing up, it was very different then. Like, you know, it wasn't cool to be Haitian or there was a lot of, I would say, what's that word I'm looking for? Well, there was a lot of, I guess, hate against certain communities. So navigating those worlds and navigating a world where you look differently, you eat differently, you speak differently and all of that. But I believe those experiences have been rich in developing the development of who I am today. And I think going to college and going to grad school were definite ways of me coming out of my shell more and obviously travel definitely strips you naked. So (laughs) on many levels, right? Like it opens up your heart a lot more. So yeah, that was me back then. A big, big contrast. And just like you, this was never like a life plan. Like I've definitely moved away from a linear mindset of being. So I'm just in the flow right now. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. a fellow introvert. So (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I don't see nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, So as far as culture, were you able to maintain speaking French? Yeah, I speak Haitian Creole still fluent. My family members, some of them still don't speak English. So, you know, I still am able to communicate with them. Yeah. And I've been practicing my Spanish, God. A lot of the words are very similar, but yeah, I'm just, I'm still working on that Spanish. But being around here helps. Dominican Republic forces you to learn. (laughs) Being in Asian countries, were you able to pick up any languages there? Yeah, for sure. You have to, you know, I feel like when you're in a different country, it's, it's very, you know, respectable to learn the culture a little bit, Mm. learn the nuances and learn the language that you can communicate with people. I did definitely learn a lot of the survival words. You know, the Thai language is so difficult. So it was a Japanese language. And before I left Japan, I was actually going to start taking some Japanese lessons. By pure osmosis, you definitely pick up certain things. So how many countries have you been to? (laughs) (laughs) I want to say maybe 19. Yeah. I haven't hit the 20 yet, I don't think. You share some of your personal journey in your professional life. How do you navigate what to share and what not to share? Or as a friend used to say, the difference between telling the truth and telling all your business. Is what I'm sharing helpful? Is what I'm sharing useful? Have I processed already what I've shared? If I haven't processed what I've shared already and I'm still in it, it doesn't make sense to actually share it because you're still in it and you haven't learned the lessons. So what are the lessons that I've learned from this particular situation? And is the lesson going to be valuable for other people? And so I shift it from being about me to being about service. And that's how I discern whether or not I share something. You know, often 
social media will blur the lines and you think like you know somebody because they share so much, but typically you still don't know that person no matter how much they share. And some people use social media as a way to, for lack of a better term, like a dumping ground for their feelings. And that's not always, you know, helpful for that person, especially if somebody comes left field and says something that triggers or gives you a reaction. So you have to find how helpful that will be. Kind of like that expression, uh, restraint of pen and tongue. It's like pause first. Pause. Yeah. Sleep on it, you know. So can you talk about Black Girl Ventures, how you became involved with that? It's so funny how I became involved with that. So Omi, the CEO, I knew her from back in D.C. when I lived there. And we were both in the poetry scene and the queer scene as well. I used to watch her and follow her and just see her perform. And she's amazing. And we'd have like chats here and there. But anyway, so when I came back in 2019, there was a post that she posted on Facebook that said she was looking for writers. And I was like, why not? I had some time. I figured, let me just write a few blog posts for them or whatnot. And then when I met with them, and literally it was only like four of us, <laughs> this four person organization. And you know, I started writing some articles for them. And then it grew into me managing the blog. And then it grew to me uh, managing some writers. And now the company has really exploded. So Black Girl Ventures is an organization that provides access to capital, as you said, access to social and financial capital uh, to Black and Brown entrepreneurs. And the way that we do that is through pitch competition. So, you know, we train and support women who need to pitch their companies to get money. And so we've had really amazing partnerships with like Nike, WNBA, NBA, and it's just been a beautiful ride to see it grow. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the website. You say it started with four people, but um, I thought uh, right away about the picture that you all took together. And just as far as imagery and more imageries of us and our professional lives, to me, that was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I thought of like those Vogue yearly covers and just how you guys were all sitting. <laughs> it was so fun to do that. Yeah. The organization has grown and I'm super proud and honored to be a part of it. So, I mean, I know you've talked a lot about like before you started traveling and then where you're at now, how it's changed you, but overall, how do you see yourself today since you've been on this journey? That's a great question. So me and my partner, we traveled so many times, we've moved so many places. And what we typically do, we'll spend 30 days at a place, see if we like it. If we like it, we'll extend. And so we've done that in a few countries. We've done that in Mexico. We've done that in Colombia. Well, we stayed a little longer in Panama, but it was more logistics uh, than anything else. And so that's how we've been traveling. And we're still looking for like a home base. So finding something that resonates for both of us, she's more in the mountains and I like the beach. I do like the mountains as well, but she's more of like the outdoors person. So finding a place that equally <laughs> works with both of us has been a little challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just haven't found the place. Uh, so we'll just keep kind of moving like this. We're hoping to make like some sort of decision sooner than later because uh, we're both getting tired of picking up and going every 30 to 90 days that can wear on you. Uh, as much as I love the adventure, the spontaneity, 
I just want to unpack my suitcase, you know, (laughs) and take a bag for the weekend or something. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And so the movement has changed because when I was teaching, I had to be, you know, contracted. And so it's been great to be able to just kind of flow and go to these different places and explore and just loving up on the culture and the food. So we're still in this nomad thing and I don't see it changing anytime soon, really. When we do find a place, maybe we'll settle down for like six months versus three. Uh, But I feel like my itching point is about six or nine months. And I start looking around. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe that's changed. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'm always open to the possibilities. You know, my awareness at this point is most of us are solo travelers, but you're traveling with your partner. Like, was that something that you both came in together doing, or was that something that you, one or the other, had to encourage one to do? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, luckily for me, my partner was already an avid traveler. We actually interviewed her on Chronicles Abroad. So she was already in the game and in the life. So that made it a lot easier. But I know for me, even before she came on, that's a definite requirement for me. So if you're not into the travel life, then the relationship is just not going to work for me just because I don't have any plans on living in the States and I like being able to move and explore. So that made it easier. And so we decided back in October, our relationship was still relatively new. So it's definitely a challenge to see, okay, let's commit to doing this. And we did it for a little over a year that we've been traveling. And thankfully we have similar personalities. We're both introverts <laughs> We just like to chill. (laughs) It's been a beautiful experience. It hasn't been easy, right? We had to learn to live together and travel. So there's a lot of moving parts, but we both have similar personalities where we can have, um, you know, talk to each other pretty easily in a way that allows us to hear each other comes to travel stuff. Right now we actually in separate places. She's still in Colombia. I'm here. And we're both kind of doing the individual solo travel thing. And that's something that we agreed upon beforehand. So I think with anybody, it's like, what are those agreements? You know, what are those things that you like to make sure that your relationship continues to be enriching? Communication has been a big challenge. And so we had to grow through that and we're still growing through that. But it's been beautiful having somebody side by side to try all the foods with and to experience you know, crappy Airbnbs <laughs> together with and all that, <laughs> oh, <God>. you know, <laughs> so I've been really blessed and um, yeah, it's been a blessing for sure. Yeah, that's great. And I laughed just because I just remembered a couple of Airbnbs like, oh God, I hope they find me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I get it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but again, yeah, I hadn't thought of like traveling with a partner. Yeah, again, once more, it's expanding my awareness of how I can walk out into the world or anyone can walk out into the world. What I love about life is that we can literally create it. Like you can create everything you want. It's just our programming that has us thinking otherwise. They always say, be careful what you ask for, you'll get it. I, ask for certain things and they've manifested 
And so I'm a big believer in the fact that we can create our lives. I like that. And that just takes it back to defying resistance. Well, I thank you so much for carving out time and your schedule to join me. And, you know, just really happy to hear how you're growing, you know, professionally and in other parts of your life and being an example for so many, including me. So, um, yeah, I just really appreciate you coming on here. No, I appreciate the invitation, Eric. And I'm so glad that you followed your heart to Sweden. And I look forward to hearing that you're back to Sweden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and thank you for creating this space. I know it's, it's valuable to have so many different perspectives so that people can actually have a reference and pull from. So I appreciate you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, well, you are one of the forerunners. So you have been uh, one of my blueprints. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Where can we find you online? Yeah, Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. I also have a YouTube channel. The Instagram is just my name, Francis Lease. And then the YouTube channel is Define Resistance. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Okay, and I'll make sure to share those. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>